Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us. That means if you've never been to church, if you walked away from church, or have struggled to find a church home, we were started for you. For more information about Collective and how to join us on a Sunday morning, please head to www.mycollective.church. Before we begin today, though, I want to give a huge shout out to everyone who was here last week and packed meals with us at our Generosity Feeds event. And so last week, we finished up a sermon series called DNA. And so for three weeks, we talked about the DNA of this church and how it's based on the rhythms of Jesus's life. And so in week one, we talked about how we need to spend time with God. And week two, we talked about how we need to spend time in actual, like real community. And week three, instead of me preaching a sermon about loving our community and meeting needs, we did it. And so we didn't do any of this. We didn't set anything up like this. We put out tables and we packaged 10,000 meals for food insecure kids in Frederick County. And so right now the meals are in the West Frederick Middle School food pantry and they'll stay there until the week before Thanksgiving when blessings in a backpack will come in and pick them up and pack them into long weekend lunch and dinner bags for over 2,500 kids in our community. And so I know for a lot of you who are here, it took you out of your comfort zone. I know a lot of you invited family and friends. And so we just wanna say thank you Thank you for being a church that doesn't just say you love our city, but you actually do it. Uh, thank you that you're, you're a group of people that you don't just want to do it once a year, but this is who you are. And thank you that we can be a church where we can say, this is our DNA. This is who we are. This is what we do. And we back that up, uh, not just during the week, but also on Sunday mornings. And so also, if you are wondering what type of church plays Taylor Swift or would cancel church, even though last week was church, but would cancel a worship service to pack meals, we really want to encourage you to come hang out with us at Starting Point next week. We're going to answer a ton of questions. If you have questions, you can ask them. But ultimately, we just want to share with you what this church is about, why we went to two services this morning. We had a nine o'clock. We had a whole different group of people here, um, which was huge. And so if you've ever wondered what that means or why that matters, come hang out with us at Starting Point free pizza, free parking. It's really easy. Awesome. I think the Ravens play a late game. That's why we did it next week. So Redskins play one, but none of you care about that. They're terrible. Like the one Redskins fan is like, what about us? You'll be losing. I'm a Redskins fan. It's, oh, I'm a Redskins fan. It's okay. Goodness. I drove home on Monday during the first quarter and I came home. We're down by like four touchdowns. So whatever. But we'd love to see you there. We'd love to get to know you a little bit more. Today, we're kicking off a brand new series called Bad Blood that's all about relationships. And so this isn't a dating or a marriage series, but the truths you will hear if you apply them will help you be a better husband or wife. They'll help you be a better boyfriend or girlfriend now or in the future. And our main goal for the next three weeks is to figure out how to have better relationships, relationships that are healthy, relationships that are life-giving, relationships that are resilient, relationships that go beyond shallow and into the depths of community that we were actually designed for and that we long for. We're even gonna talk about on October 28th, the last week of the series, we're gonna talk about ending unhealthy relationships because the reality is many of you are in relationships or friendships or working relationships that are toxic. They cannot be healed. They're slowly crushing you and it's time to move forward. So on October 28th, we're gonna talk about how do we end those relationships. Mother Teresa said that loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the most terrible poverty. And many of us feel this. We've experienced loneliness in our life. As a child on the first day of school when trying to find a place to sit at lunch. As an adult when you realized that all of your friends were getting married or having kids and you were still single. When you moved to a new city for work and you didn't know anyone. When you finalized your divorce and as you walked into your house for the first time, it was just you, you realize that you might be alone. 
And so we talked about this a few weeks ago. Loneliness is an epidemic that impacts our physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health. And the solution to this is to find and invest in healthy and encouraging and good relationships. You know, we live in a time where we are surrounded by people, but we still often feel isolated. We have hundreds of friends online, but we're still alone. The world is more connected than ever, but relationships are shallow and lacking any true depth. And relationships are tricky. As I've gotten older, I've realized that it's harder to make real friends. This is exactly how Olivia Poole felt when she moved to San Francisco after college to work in the tech industry. In such a male-dominated field, she found it hard to form new friendships with men or women that were strictly platonic, friends for the sake of having friends. And after hanging out at local bars and attending events she saw on Facebook, even messaging random strangers on social media, if you're lonely, don't do that. We have groups, they're called collectives, just go hang out with them. Food, good fun, don't message strangers. But after going through that and realizing that she was alone, she needed community, what she did was she created an app called Hey Vina so she could make friends. And so the app would ask users questions about their interests, personalities, and goals. And then what it would do is it match them up for coffee or museum outings or whatever they might be into. Since then, additional apps such as Rande Who have been created, which, by the way, I hate puns. And so I hope that app dies. <laughs> I hate it. But it was created, and this app actually tries to create long-lasting friendships by matching up two random users for life. There's even an app called Meet My Dog for pet owners and their dogs who are looking for some companionship. If I'm going to be honest, this sounds like a trap to me. This sounds like it was created by a single guy trying to meet girls, not just make friends. But that's just me. If you're a single girl, I wouldn't do it, but you have your own decisions. And so, like, we have all these ways to make friends, right? Like, you, you can have work friends or you have family or people that you meet on a day-to-day -day basis or church. Even apps have been created to help us make friends. But how do we build relationships that last? How do we build healthy and life-giving relationships? Because you don't get relationships, you build them. It takes work. It takes time. It takes consistency. And it actually takes some tools. Are any of you, any of you handy? Brave enough to raise your hand? There's like two people in both services. This is like the least handy church ever. So good news. I guess we will never serve with Habitat for Humanity. <laughs> Would any, are you, some of you just like openly not handy? Okay, there you go. At least you're brave. Just say it. it's cool. So I grew up in a house where my dad is a contractor. So at a very young age, I began to learn how to build and fix things. The first time I joined my dad on a job, I was paid a few dollars to pick up the two by fours that were left over from all the cuts that they made. Then I graduated to getting a hammer and nails so I could build whatever I wanted while my dad worked. And through the years, I've built decks, I've installed flooring, I've done a lot of painting, way too much painting. I hate painting. I've decocked and caulked tubs, degrad and grouted tile, plumbing, remodels, renovations, I've done it all. And so two summers ago, I went to Haiti for, a for one of our global engagement trips. And while there, I was asked to build some cabinets in their kitchen. And so I was incredibly confident that I would get it done with ease. But when we arrived at the house to do, do the work, I learned very quickly that this project wasn't going to be easy because the selections of tools was limited. In fact, when we showed up, we realized that the drill was broken and the toolbox barely had any tools in it and their walls were made of cinder block. And so using what we had, me and another guy named Matt, uh, we began to work. And over the next eight hours, we did everything we could to build two shelves. We didn't have a level, so we used a bottle of water to let us know if the shelves were straight. We didn't really have a hammer, so we used a block of wood. We didn't have a tape measure, so we used string to match things up. And it was hard. It was harder than it should be. And to be honest, I'm nervous to ever go back to Haiti because I'd almost guarantee that the shelves collapsed before we even got on the flight home. 
But when you don't have the right tools, the job gets harder. It takes longer to complete. And most likely it won't be completed the way you want it to be done. And so this is true in construction, but this is also true in relationships. When you don't have the right tools, it's a lot harder and it takes a lot longer to build real, life-giving, healthy relationships. And so here's the deal. All of us come into relationship with a set of tools, and they come from different places. Some of the tools we have come from our family, and they could be wonderful. You could have grown up in a loving environment or a patient environment, and so those are the tools that you have that reflect that. And some of them could be negative as well. You could have grown up in an environment that didn't handle conflict well. Maybe it was a conflict-avoidant environment. Maybe it was a conflict-aggressive environment. And so those are the tools that you brought into your relationship. So some of you, when conflict starts, you sprint as far as you can in the other direction. But for some of you, if you grew up in a conflict-aggressive environment, that means when that starts to happen, you begin to scream. You begin to fight. You begin to throw objects and insults. And those are the tools that we bring into our relationships because that's what we saw growing up. That's what we mirror. Or maybe when things get difficult for you, you run. You immediately turn and walk away because that's what you saw modeled for you. Family in your life showed you that when things get difficult or when things get hard, you quit or you leave. And so our family impacts the type of tools that we bring into relationships. Now, we don't like to admit this, but a lot of time our relationship tools actually come from media. The average person spends 11 hours a day consuming media. That's movies, TV, apps, music, 11 hours a day. Social media creates an environment that the quality of a relationship comes down to someone's ability to take a selfie. So we begin to give value to people based on how they look online instead of who they actually are. And it creates a tool of shallowness that if we don't like someone, we can just swipe right and move on. Some of the tools that we have actually come from celebrities. You wouldn't be proud of this or you wouldn't even say this out loud, but it's true. You know, we named this series Bad Blood because if there's one celebrity right now that people look to when it comes to relationships, it's Taylor Swift. Most of her songs are about former relationships. And what they do is they teach people that when you're done with someone, you passive-aggressively write a song about them or put them on blast before moving on to another meaningless relationship. The song the band just played, Bad Blood, is about an old friend. How terrible is it to be that old friend, right? You turn on the radio, you can't get away from Taylor Swift, and all of a sudden it's a song, and you're like, wait, is that about me? And so that's how she handles things. And we sing these songs and we love these songs, but the reality is that begins to shape how we use these tools that we have when it comes to relationship. And the media we consume creates tools that lead to shallow relationships that are often ego-driven. Our own experiences shape the tools that we bring into relationships. You know, at some point we get into friendships and maybe we give our heart to that friendship, but we find out they're disloyal to us and stab us in the back. And so now we carry the tool of mistrust. And so what we do is we actually bring that into our next relationship. You know, we work for someone, we found out that they did us wrong. And so now we have an issue with authority. And anytime we feel someone trying to control us or assert themselves over us, we immediately push back. And that's another tool that we bring into our relationships. And so we have all these tools, some good and some bad. And what we do is we try to build relationships. We try to build friendships. We try to build working relationships. We try to build marriages. We try to build parent-child relationships. But we don't get relationships. We build them. And so now we're trying to build them, and we're doing the best we can, but we're trying to make it level with a bottle of water. We're trying to use a, a two-by-four as a hammer. We're trying to measure with string. And so at the end of the day, we wonder why our relationships are fractured and confused and stressed. And we ask, our, ask ourselves, why doesn't this work? Shouldn't this be easier? Why is this so hard? It's because we're doing the best we can with what we've got. So then we go into relationships and we use these tools and we actually build faulty foundations. We begin to build our relationships with questions like, what feels right? 
I'm gonna build my relationship on what feels right. So if you make me feel right, then this must be right. And if you say things that make me feel good, then you must be a good friend. And so we make these relationships on what feels right or we build them on what makes us happy. I'm not saying that God wants us to feel horrible and be sad. I'm just proposing that maybe this shouldn't be the foundation. You know, if you make me happy, then this must be the right relationship. So we build our relationship on what feels right or what makes me happy and we build it on what's in it for me. We ask, what do I get out of this? And again, I'm not saying that being happy isn't okay. And I'm not saying that feeling good in a relationship is a negative thing or something that God doesn't want for you. I'm just saying that probably shouldn't be our foundation. Maybe it shouldn't be the starting point because all three of these questions have one thing in common and that's me. And so if I'm in it for me and you are in it for you, that will never work. It'll never work. When, when, but this is what happens. Two selfish people get together and they don't like each other because the other one isn't for the other one. And do you see when we lay it out that way, it just sounds stupid. If I'm in it for me and you are in it for you, how is that ever going to work out? Because two people out there pursuing their own interests don't make life-giving, healthy relationships. Because if that's what I'm building my relationship on, what happens when I don't feel good anymore? What happens when I hit a rough patch and I'm not happy? What happens when you don't say the right things anymore? What happens to the foundation of my relationship if I'm building it on what I feel and what I want? It falls apart. You get friendships and working relationships and marriages and parent-child relationships that fall apart. And so what if there's a better way to build a foundation? What if there are better tools? Instead of using tools from family or media or our past experiences, what if we use tools from the Bible, right? Like what if we use tools from scripture? What if we use what God said and we bring that into our relationships? In Matthew 7, Jesus tells a story about wise and foolish builders. He says, the foolish builder is one who builds his house on sand and the wise builder is one who builds his house on stone. He explains that the difference between the two is whether or not they listened and trusted God's word. Jesus says, if you want to have a strong foundation, that listening, trusting, and following him is how that is done. I know that's counter to what culture would say. And I, and I know that you're going to wrestle with this, but here's the thing, you have a choice. And if you feel like your relationships are broken or shallow or toxic or even lukewarm and bring zero meaning or zero life into who you are, then maybe it's time to use a different set of tools that are based on scripture instead of our family or media or our past. So there are three tools to building healthy relationships. The first tool is this, it's trust. Every relationship should be built on trust. Now, some of you are already thinking, you don't know the people in my life, and I get that. But those people are in your circle of concern and not your circle of control. Only you can control you. And we say this all the time, you are ridiculously in charge of your own situation. So only you can choose what you extend to people. See, whenever you're in a relationship, you have a choice of what you're going to extend. Either you're going to extend suspicion or trust. And some of you have been through some rough experiences in your life, and it's hard for you to trust. And I'm not downplaying that at all. I'm just saying that you control you. And the strong, healthy relationships you want in your life will be determined by what you extend. Are you going to extend trust or suspicion? Are you suspicious of everybody that you meet? Are you waiting for the ball to drop with everyone that you bump into? Are you going to extend trust? And I understand that this is difficult because you're extending it toward humans. We're not perfect. I'm not perfect. And so it's not easy, and I, but I would propose that with the people in your life, if you're going to build healthy and life-giving relationships, you're going to have to extend trust. And this means you're gonna have to believe the best about people. People have burnt you, and I get that, but if we have reason to trust and we have no reason to not trust, then our default should be trust. 
I'm not saying you become a doormat. I'm not saying that as they prove a record of untrustworthiness that you continue to give your trust to an untrustworthy person. What I'm saying is that our default setting should be extending trust. Not only am I going to extend trust, but I'm gonna be, believe the best about you. I know for me personally, my natural propensity is suspicion. And you have to figure out what yours is, but for me, it's suspicion. I'm constantly wondering if people are really gonna do what they say they're going to do. Are they really gonna follow through? Are they really being honest with me? And that's my default. And so in my mind, I have to think and I have to believe the best about every person that I meet. And when I hear something that where it didn't happen the way they promised or they, they, it fell through in the end, my natural instinct is to say, on to the next one. The first thing that I want to do is go say, I'm gonna find a new person to fill this spot, to fill this role, to be this person in my life. And so I have to force myself to extend trust to every person that I meet, specifically until I know all the details when people let me down. Many of us are suspicious before we ever know the details. We don't have evidence to be suspicious. That's just what we extend to people. And what that does is it creates unhealthy relationships. And extending trust is hard because some of us are allowing our past experience to shade every individual that is currently in our life. So everyone in your life that you meet is at a trust deficit. Every person that you bump into is at a trust deficit. And some of you walked into collective today suspicious of the people here without knowing them because of past pain that you have felt. And what you're doing is you're forcing people to work twice as hard to get to level ground with you. You're forcing people twice as hard to dig themselves out of a hole that they didn't create. But if you want to have meaningful relationships, if you want to move your shallow relationships to ones that are life-giving and life-changing, you can't hold all of your relationships hostage because someone in your past did you wrong. We actually talked about this in our forgiveness series called F-Bomb. I'm genuinely sorry that someone hurt you. God did not create people so that they could hurt each other. But the person in the past who broke your trust, the person in your past that betrayed you, walked out on you, left deep wounds or deep scars, they have most likely moved on. I'm very sorry, but that's true. You can't continue to let them have control over you, especially when it comes to your relationships. Because if you ever want to move out of that pain, it'll take new people through trust that will show you what real relationships look like, that they can be trusted, that you can have life-giving people around you. But this isn't all about other people. You also need to be trustworthy. Because here's the deal. I don't care how good you are. I don't even care if you have a halo over your head. We break trust. That's what we do. Sometimes it's unintentional, but we forget things. Sometimes we run out of time. Sometimes circumstances change and what we thought we could do, eventually we fall short. We break trust. So to be a trustworthy person doesn't mean you are perfect. If you're striving for perfection, you will fall short. Being a trustworthy person means not if, but when we fall short, we own it. And we own it before they have to address it. I own it before you have to address it. Before you have to come to me and say, hey, I expected you to do this, but you didn't follow through. Or you promised you would take care of this, but you didn't. Before you ever have to have that conversation, I come to you. Before you ever call me or text me, I reach out to you. That means, hey boss, I just want to let you know that I'm running about 10 minutes late because I didn't factor in the traffic. I'm an on-time person. I'll be there as soon as I can. That's trustworthiness. That means, hey, I told you in that email that I would follow through on this and I've not followed through and I, I own it. I don't have an excuse, but I'm gonna make up for it. I'm gonna take care of that today. That's owning it. Parents, this should be how you create trust in your kids. One of the worst things that you can do when raising your kids is break trust and then not own it. That stuff will stick with them forever. You want to have a lifelong relationship with your kids, own your mistakes before they grow up and have kids of their own and realize just how much you sucked. Owning it also means that when we have broken trust, it's not their responsibility to repair the trust, it's mine. 
in relationships, when you are a violator of trust, it's not the other person's job to repair that. It's yours. It's your responsibility to give them all the passwords and usernames. And you say, well, they're trying to control me. No, you broke trust. And if you cannot have a solid relationship without trust, and they want every password, every username, to read every email, to read every text, that's their prerogative because it's on you to rebuild that trust, not them. And so maybe trust is a more solid foundation to rebuild and build our relationships on. Maybe we should have... Maybe we would have stronger parent-child relationships if we said, I promise you that I would take you to this place and I didn't do it, and for that I'm sorry. Maybe we'd have stronger friendships if we said, I knew you needed my help last week, but I was selfish and I slept in. I'm sorry, I'll be there for you the next time you need me. Maybe we'd have stronger marriages if we said, I know that I said I'd be home for dinner. I got stuck in a meeting because I was too afraid to say no. I'm gonna talk to my boss to make sure it doesn't ever happen again. Proverbs 26 says this, better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. It is better to have integrity and to be trustworthy. It is more valuable than any wealth that you could have. Proverbs 19.1 says, better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. It is better to have integrity and to speak with integrity, to speak in a way that builds trust than it is to speak in a way that leads to distrust. Proverbs 10.9 says, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. In other words, the person who has integrity doesn't have to constantly look over their shoulder. The person who is trustworthy doesn't have to stress about the relationships that they have. They don't have to get nervous when their wife or their boss or their friends text them with, hey, we need to talk. If you walk with integrity and you walk with honesty and you walk with trust, that's what's going to happen in your relationships. You will bring that to them. So we need to walk in ways that bring trust. The second tool to building healthy relationships is honesty. Now these are sequential. You don't get honesty without trust. And we're not just talking about like kind of honesty, meaning not lying. We're talking about real honesty. We're talking about authentic and transparent communication. You don't get that if your relationship is not built on trust. And if we're building on relationships on what makes us feel good, I don't really want honest communication because what you're saying doesn't make me feel good. If I'm building my relationships on what makes me happy, then I don't know if I really want you to talk to me because I don't want to dig through the things in my life that are broken and messed up because I just want to be happy. Because if I have to face something real, especially if it's my own brokenness, I'm just going to walk away or I'll look for a new job or I'll isolate myself because I don't want to deal with my issues because they don't make me happy. But in an atmosphere of trust, where I trust you and you trust me, then I can have honest communication. Proverbs 19.20 says, Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. That only comes in an environment where there's trust and someone can be really honest with us. Proverbs 14.5 says, An honest witness does not deceive, but a false witness pours out lies. A healthy, life-giving relationship is not one where both people are lying to each other to make each other feel good. There are, there are lies that people will tell you to hide things from you. There are also lies people will tell you to hide you from you. Because at the end of the day, they just want you to be happy or they just want you to feel good, but they're lying through their teeth. But when I have trust, then I can have an honesty. When I have honesty, then I can have open communication with the people around me. When I have open communication, I can actually move forward towards something. But if I can't get you to honestly talk to me, and if I don't trust you, then I can't move forward with you. I can't move into a healthy relationship. I can't move into a resilient relationship. I can't move into good relationships. And honesty isn't, I'm going to let you talk so I can formulate what I'm going to say back to you. It's, I want you to talk because I'm listening to you. 
I want to hear you. I trust you in what you say has value to add into my life. In other words, we say, I'm willing to receive feedback. Now, not everybody likes feedback. I personally love it. I crave it. But I only get feedback from people that I trust. I only listen to feedback from people that our relationship is in a place where honesty is at the center of all of our conversations. Because I know that these people actually aren't trying to hurt me, that they don't have manipulative motives, that these people want what's best for me as a husband and as a dad and as a pastor and as a follower of Jesus. And sometimes feedback stings. Sometimes I get defensive. Just ask our staff. It happens most Mondays. But I have to check myself and realize that the reason why I welcome feedback from that person is because I trust them and I long for their honesty. And so when we trust, then we trust that people will be honest with us and, they, and we can be honest with them. And understand that my honesty towards you won't cause you to retaliate against me. Because some of us, we we're actually in relationships where we try to be really honest with someone, but there isn't actually a foundation of trust. And what happens is they actually use that honesty and they try to retaliate against us. And so if I'm building my relationship on what feels good to me, I will use your honesty to retaliate because what you said didn't feel good. And so what people do is what they, they turn it and they manipulate the situation. But if we build our relationships on trust, then we can have honesty. So tool one is trust. Tool two is honesty. And tool number three is commitment. Romans 12, 9 says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. And so Paul's writing, be devoted to one another, be committed. In other words, I'm with you, I've got you, you can't run off, I'm gonna come with you. And so you need relationships in your life that have some resiliency. You need people in your life who will stand by you through thick and thin. You need people in your life who will stick with you through hell and high water, but don't expect to get that from people if you're not willing to give that. And so these are tools, but if I don't trust you, I'm not gonna be committed to you. If I don't trust you, I won't talk honestly with you. If I can't get honest with you, then I can't be committed to you. And so trust is the foundation of every healthy and life-giving relationship. This is the foundation of Jesus's relationship with people. Now think about it. The first thing that Jesus asked us to do when we started a relationship with him is to trust him. He says, trust me. And then what did he do? He said, I want to show you that I'm trustworthy, that my promises aren't shallow, that you can depend on me. And he showed that by going to the cross, by willingly giving up his life so that you can have a relationship with God. He died for you and he died for me. He hung on a cross saying, I am trustworthy. So he asks us, he asks us to put our trust in him. And then what happens as we journey in this relationship with Jesus, over time, he can be honest with us and we can be honest with him. And so he'll say, I want you to work on that area or I think you can be better in this area. And he calls us to a greater commitment to him. For some of you, your relationship with Jesus has been struggling because your foundation isn't built on trust. Your foundation is built on doubt and skepticism. Your, your foundation is built on anger and resentment. And so you've been following him for a while, but your relationship feels fat, flat. And so the question is, do you trust him? Do you trust him enough to trust what he says in scripture and to follow it? Do you trust him enough to be honest with him and let him be honest with you? And so if you're in that place where you're not really sure about that relationship, you've been trying to follow him for a while, it just doesn't feel right. You need to reevaluate your trust. Now, for some of you, you're here and you're ready to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus. And that first step is trust. And the way you do that is by putting your faith in him and getting baptized. And what you do is you trust that he died to forgive your sins. You trust that he will give you new life. You trust that he loves you and wants you to be free. You trust that he extends grace to you. You trust that the promises he made are true. 
And so the way that you do that is you're immersed into water. You put to death your old self and you trust that he will bring to life a new self. In just a few moments, we're gonna be celebrating as our friend Matt takes that step. Matt's officially putting his faith in Jesus and he's getting baptized. And Matt's been with us since the very beginning. Matt actually came to our first ever small group that ever existed. He's a neighbor of one of our friends. He walked in, bare feet, two beers in hand. And we're like, we don't know this guy that much, but come on and hang out with us. And from that moment, Matt's been a part of this church and he's been serving with us. He's been to Haiti with us. He's the guy from the story that helped me build the shelves. Like that's Matt. And we've been with Matt for a long time, but Matt would tell you that he didn't trust God. And Matt would tell you there were things that happened in life he didn't understand. And so at the root of it was he was trying to figure out, can I trust him? Can I trust what he says? Can I trust that he actually loves me? The last year and a half and specifically last few weeks, Matt has wrestled with that and he realized that no matter how bad things go or things don't go the way he wants or his life doesn't look the way it is, at the end of the day, he still trusts God because God is for him and God loves him. And so a few moments, we'll celebrate that together during the last song. But some of you are in that place where you're not sure what's next and it's to take that step and trust. And so if you're in that place, come talk to me after service. Or if you didn't fill out a connection card, if there's a one on the seat next to you, fill it out, check off baptism, and let's talk. Let's talk about what it looks like to trust. And it doesn't mean you jump all the way in right away. It just says, let's take that first step. Let's take that first step to build that relationship on trust and see what happens. And so trust, honesty, and commitment. Do we have to be perfect? No. Do we have to be committed? Yes. And some of you are wondering, well, what about love? Shouldn't we build it on love? Well, love is good, but what happens when you lose that loving feeling? You better have trust and you better have honesty and you better have commitment. And so what are you building your relationships on? Are you building them on what you feel? Are you building them on what makes you happy? Are you building them on what's in it for you? And if you are, you have a faulty foundation. And the thing is, I don't have to tell you you have a faulty foundation. You look at your relationships and you know. And some of you are here today and you feel that in your relationships and you feel that when it comes to your relationship with your boss or your family or your friends and you feel that something is off and the reality is your foundation is on something that's built by a tool that was given to you by somebody else. And so you have to reevaluate that and you have to build it on trust. You have to build it on honesty and you have to build it on commitment because when you do that, guess what you'll get? You'll get happiness. You'll get poured into You'll get life. You'll get all the things that you are wanting and longing for when it comes to relationships. But in order to do that, you have to turn it upside down and you have to build those relationships on trust and honesty and commitment. So you have the tools. They exist. We can read them every single day if we want to. But now it's up to you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that... um, God, that when we look at relationships and we look to try to figure out how to have good relationships, healthy relationships, life-giving relationships, God, that honestly, we don't have to make it up on our own. Because God, when we've done that in the past, we realize that doesn't actually create the relationships that we crave and long for and need. But God, ultimately, we're thankful that we can look to you and we can look to uh, what you said and we can look to the Bible and we can see this is what relationships should look like. So God, I just pray today uh, for those of us who are struggling with those relationships, have relationships in our past that have hurt us, relationships right now that just seem shallow, or even as we pursue new relationships in the future, God, I pray that we build the foundation on you. And God, that it starts with trust, and God, that we can have relationships that have honesty and commitment. God, thank you that that example started with you. God, that even though we are not trustworthy, you trust us. And even though we don't deserve it, you're honest with us. 
And God, even though we fall short over and over and over again, you're still committed to us. God, I pray as a church and as a group of people that we can mirror that in our own lives and in our own community. We love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.